This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. Well, welcome, friends. My name is Spencer. So glad that you're here today. Today is part four of our series, The Truth About Lies. And here's the premise of our series, that there is a battle for truth within each of us and all of us collectively. We see this battle for truth, of course, front and center in our day and age. We talk about things like misinformation, disinformation. Truth has become relative, subjective. It's up to interpretation. You hear people talk about how they're going to live their own truth. And and this is how we talk these days. Moral relativism and and subjective ethics. And and we, we make truth about us. Now, we believe as Christians that this battle for truth is not just a battle for ideas, but is really spiritual in nation, in nature. That we have a battle for deception that we see in the Bible because there is a deceiver, one who's actively seeking to destroy us through deception. In fact, one of the things we see in the Bible is that one of the main strategies that Satan uses to destroy people is to, de- is to deceive them. We see this from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Listen to this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the, eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, each week in the series, we're starting here with Genesis chapter three. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis three is a pivotal, pivotal chapter in the Bible. Before this, Genesis one and two, life is perfect. It's exactly as God has created it. The universe, creation, the Garden of Eden is all acting in the way that God intended Genesis 3 introduces the rebellion of humans eating of this fruit, which leads to all kinds of destruction. But as you trace that destruction back, you trace it back through the sin of that rebellion, what you see at the heart of this is deception. So each week what we're doing is we're exploring this deception by lifting up these phrases that the serpent, the deceiver, says to the woman. Uh, Last week we we looked at the, the, the phrase that you will not certainly die. This week as we keep going in this conversation, the serpent says to the woman that when God knows that when they eat of this fruit that that God knows that, quote, their eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. You'll wake up. You'll see things for how they really are. And and not just see the world for how it really is. I mean, buried in this is, is an assumption that you'll start to see God as he really is. You'll start to see that maybe, of course, the implication with that is that maybe this God is not all that you think he is. In his incredible book, uh, The Truth About Lies and Lies About Truth, which I'm obviously borrowing part of that title for this series, um, the author David Tackle writes this about that deception. Your eyes will be opened. You'll wake up. You'll see the world how it really is. You'll see God for who he really is. And he writes this, if you were Eve, what would you be feeling about that time? She must have been shocked by the idea that God might be keeping something from them, holding out on them. It had never occurred to her that God could have some ulterior motive for banning the tree. 
Why else would it be there? Here the servant, the serpent is saying that this is the most ridiculous thing she ever heard, that the, the, the ban on that tree. So she's thinking maybe God is not who he claims to be. And then David Tackle writes this. This is so good. He says, this is the most found, foundational level at which we have all been deceived. This is the most foundational level at which we've all been deceived. To one extent or another, we all hold distorted images of God. We fear his disapproval. We do not trust him with our futures. We doubt his love and we run away from him when we have failed. God for most of us is either too distant, too disappointed, or too uncaring. And I want you to pay attention to those last three words here. God is either too distant, too disappointed, or too uncaring. Now this lie is everywhere. That God is maybe different than we think he is. And so we have this distorted view of God. And this is how so many of us live, this foundational deception that we begin to have a distorted view of God because we begin to think that God is too distant, too disappointed, or too uncaring. The great A.W. Tozer once wrote that uh, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now that makes sense because God is by definition the most important thing that there is. And so what you think about the most important thing there is, is therefore the most important thing about you. <laughs> I mean, that's just how that logic would, would work. And, and what happens there, therefore is how you think about God, the most important thing there is, is not just the most important thing about you, but also is going to have the biggest impact on how you actually live your life. And I mean that very, very practically. How you think about God is a very practical implication to how you make decisions, to how you handle adversity or prosperity, to how you deal with stress and fear and setback, how you decide what's important or not important. I mean, foundational, fundamental things in your life are going to be determined by how you think about God. And so therefore, how you think about God is the most important thing about you because it is going to impact so many parts of your life. But what we find is that when we have a distorted view of God, well, this leads to a distorted view of ourself, which leads to a dysfunctional life. I want you to hear that pattern one more time. A distorted view of God, it leads to a distorted view of ourselves because we don't know how we relate to God, which then leads to a dysfunctional life. So let's explore this a little bit. And let me show you this, this pattern in action. How does, how does a distorted view of God lead to a distorted view of ourself, which leads to a dysfunctional life? I'm going to give you two examples. Both these examples come from the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And, um, you know, before we get into these examples, let's think about their story just for a little bit. Especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, I want you to be able to place where this, these stories take place with the people of Israel to show you these examples. And so if you think about the people of Israel, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, it opens with the people of Israel as slaves in Egypt. Classic story is there are slaves in Egypt. God raises up Moses. You have this great scene of the burning bush. Um, uh, the Lord sends Moses to go confront Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh is, has a hard heart, is stubborn, and so you have the ten plagues. The Passover comes, finally Pharaoh relents. The people of Israel are released from slavery, except Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them. 
And they're camped out on the banks of the Red Sea. Moses stands up as the Egyptian army is coming after them. They've got nowhere to go because the Red Sea is behind them. And, and uh, Moses gives one of the greatest speeches of all times. Exodus 14, go read it. It's just so good. The, part, the waters of the uh, Red Sea part, the people of Israel pass through, they're saved. And what should have happened right then is that the people of Israel, along with Moses, go from the Red Sea into the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, except what really happened is that the people of Israel were hard-hearted and stubborn and didn't listen to the Lord. And so instead, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their stubbornness. And after 40 years of leadership, Moses is nearing the end of his life, and he gives one last speech, one last you know thing to say as the leader of these people for the last 40 years. And that last speech, by the way, is basically the book of Deuteronomy. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving this long speech, remembering everything that the Lord has done and kind of giving interpretation for what this, how this worked and what happened to them. And in chapter one, Moses is remembering this time where um, they had sent out some spies into the promised land to go check it out. What's the food like? What are the people like? What's the land like? And the spies come back and they report these things. And then they tell the people of Israel about the about this, the, the people who live there. And the people of Israel are terrified because there are these Canaanites who live in the land. And so Moses is remembering this to them in this final speech. And I want you to hear how he describes this to them. And you can hear in this speech, a distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of self, which leads to a dysfunction in life. So listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. Moses is speaking. He says, but you were unwilling to go up. That is, you were unwilling to go up into the promised land because the spies told you that there were these Canaanites who lived there, and so you didn't want to go, and so you were unwilling to go up. And then he says, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You rebelled. You didn't go. You rebelled. And so you were so afraid because of what the spies said, you rebelled against the Lord your God. Verse 27, you grumbled in your tents. And this is their stubbornness. You grumbled in your tents, and you said, the Lord hates us. <laughs> the Lord hates us. That's her response. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, which is a, a group of Canaanites who live in that land, to destroy us. So where can we go? Our brothers, the spies, that is, have made our hearts, listen to this, melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, which is a fabled, legendary people. But I want you to hear that phrase. Their hearts melt in fear. Why? What, what happened to them that caused their hearts to melt in fear? Well, they had a distorted view of God. The Lord hates us. That's what they said. The Lord hates us. That distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of themselves. Well, if the Lord hates us, he's not on our side, then that must mean that we have to do all of this work ourselves. And this distorted view of self then leads to a dysfunction in life because fear ends up keeping them stuck from receiving the blessing and receiving their inheritance of the promised land. They don't go into the promised land at that time because of their fear. A distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of self, which leads to a dysfunction in life. Let's go to another example. Same dynamic is gonna be a play. Distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of self, leads to a dysfunction in life. So we're gonna stay in Deuteronomy, gonna to go to chapter eight, and um, here Moses is encouraging the people that eventually, when you get into the promised land, um, be careful because these distortions of God 
our, and, and self are going to cause problems. They are dysfunctions. You got to be, you got to be on your guard against them. And so he says this to them. This is chapter eight. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, because you're in the land, you're finally there after all these years of wandering, you've overcome your dysfunctions, you're finally in the land, and when you've eaten and are satisfied, he says, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Verse 11, though, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreaded wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. So when you get to the promised land, he's like, he's like, and you have success and you have growing wealth, you may forget all that God has done for you. And then comes verse 17, the last verse here. He just simply says this, because of what's happening, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Catch the line. My power, my strength, my hands have produced this wealth for, for, for me. And so Moses is warning them of the danger of pride. The danger of pride, of course, which is a dysfunction because it's a wrong way of living and it will come with devastating results. Go read ahead in their story as they um, have devastating results when, when pride enters their picture. But here again, the distortion of God is that God has nothing to do with this great thing that's happened to them. That's a distorted view of self, therefore, that they think this is all on their shoulders. And this leads then to a dysfunction in life where they become reliant on themselves. So, what we think about God and how we think about God is the most important thing about us because by definition, God is the most important thing that there is. So what you think about the most important thing there is is going to be the most important thing about you. It is going to impact your life, how you make decisions, how you make value and what you place as importance, how you deal with adversity and prosperity and stress and fear and success, how you choose a vocation, how you deal with your marriage, how you raise your children, how you interact with your neighbors, how you treat your enemies. All of these things, practical things in life are going to be determined because how you view God. But if you have a distorted view of God, not a true picture that we see as God is revealed in the Bible, one of God who loves us, but instead has a view of God where God is either too disappointed, too uncaring, or too distant. Remember that quote from earlier? Well, then we are inevitably going to have a distorted view of ourself where we think things are on our shoulders, which will lead to dysfunctions in life. So let's play this out a little bit more. And um, I, want, I want to show you this, this pattern because I think this pattern is really helpful in identifying deception. So like, as you think about the problems that we have in life, um, we have these problems because we've been deceived. And, and, and these deceptions about how we see God, they, they've led to 
all kinds of distortions of how we see ourselves, which has led to all kinds of dysfunctions within our life. So I want to play this pattern out a little bit more. And I'm, I'm going to use um, some work here also by David Tackle, who I quoted from earlier, because one of the most helpful parts of his book is he lays out this really interesting table that um, shows how these distortions look like in action as you start to navigate through life with distorted views. And so what he does is he gives, um, this table includes four different views on life. And this is his language, not mine. I'm going to borrow his language here. But um, many people use one of these four views of life that are really distorted views of self in order to navigate life. And so his first um, uh, perspective is one he calls self-deprecation. Now, self-deprecation is then you believe that life is all on your shoulders, but you have a low view of yourself, a depreciated low uh, view of yourself. Well, then you have a self-deprecated view. I would maybe use the word fear for this perspective. It's one where I I look at the world through the lens of fear. Um, Another opposite view of that, which comes from the same distortion of self, but comes to a different conclusion, is what he calls self-adulation. This is where you elevate yourself because you think you have accomplished all of these things. You can hear the stories of the people of Israel here. One where they're afraid, one where they think it's all on their shoulders. It's the, it's the view of pride. Another view that sometimes we, we come to though, because these two views lead to dysfunctions, is that we will um, overcome those, to seek to overcome those dysfunctions by looking to the ways of the world. And so David Tackle lays out another category of navigating life that he calls um, human wisdom. So because these distortions of God lead to distortion of self, which leads to dysfunction, it's like, how do I deal with these dysfunctions? Well, some of us will rely on human wisdom. Human wisdom is the self-help section of the bookstore. It's the myriad of podcasts that you can listen to about mindfulness and being healthier and more, more having a, a more holistic approach to life. Um, this is a lot of the, what you find in secular forms of therapy would be, would be what we find in this human wisdom. But then the fourth option to navigate life is to have a right view of God. And this leads to a right view of ourselves, which leads to a right kind of life. And so Tackle describes this fourth view as simply godly wisdom. And this is the, the wisdom that's informed on life through the Bible. So let's put this in action. I want to walk through this with you to show how these four views of life, how we navigate life based on how we think about God, really um, uh, show up in, in massively practical ways as we walk through life. So first, we're going to just think of some different um, scenarios here. Um, first, let's think about self-image. Here's an option here of how do you come up with your self-image? How do you think of yourself? Where does your self-image, your identity, where does that come from? Well, if you have a view of self that is too low because you think life is all on your shoulders, a self-deprecated, a fear-based life, then your self-image is going to be one of shame, self-hate, self-doubt, self-loathing, right? Who am I? What do I have to offer? On the other hand, if you view of self as too high, self-adulation, well, then you're going to have a view of self that is based on pride. You're going to take yourself too seriously. You're going to think things are all on your shoulders. If you look to human wisdom to determine how should I see myself, well, then you end up with a view of self that is based on self-acceptance. We hear this all the time. Be true to yourself. Love yourself. We live in an age of self-esteem. But godly wisdom, which is different than these options, this formed in a right relationship of God and yourself, well, this leads to a view of life where I see myself through the lens of humility. Very different. Here's another example. Let's consider hope. How do you have hope for the future? Well, if you have a self-deprecated view, a view of fear too low of yourself, you're going to feel hopeless. 
Because what do you have to offer? How can you find, I don't have anything, so I'm just going to feel hopeless. My fear is going to lead to hopelessness. If you have self-adulation, a too high view of yourself, well, you're going to think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't even need help to begin with because you have a, a view of self based on pr- uh, pride. If you look to human wisdom to give you hope, well, you're going to end up with a view that is based on self-help, which is everywhere. I can work on my way, on myself to find, to find hope. But godly wisdom believes simply, well, God is the one who saves me. He's going to save me not just from the thing that's bothering me, but he's going to save me from myself. That's the godly way. Another example, we think about the source of our problems, okay? Self-deprecating, to view low of ourselves, We end up thinking the source of our problems are me, right? I've caused this. What, look what I did. I can't get anything right. Self-adulation, too high a view of ourself, we end up with this idea that our source of our problems are always others. It's always someone else's fault. This is why I never have to apologize for anything. Human wisdom would say that our source of our problems are society. It's social systems that have caused these problems. Godly wisdom would say the source of our problems are lies and deception that leads to sin. Another example, a few more. Control. Let's think about this. How do you find control in your life? Self-deprecating view? Well, my life is out of control. I've got nothing to, to hope for here. Self-adulation, too high view of ourself. We think, well, I'm the master of my own environment. Human wisdom would teach to have limited control, only control which you can control. That's a very common thing to hear in therapy. But godly wisdom would say, no, 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 the way to have control is to surrender. Another example, change. How does my life improve? How does my life change? Well, self-deprecating would think, well, I'm never going to be any different. How can I possibly change? Self-adulation would say, well, I have no need to change. Human wisdom is going to teach you, well, I can be whatever I want to be. That's what we teach our children, by the way. But godly wisdom is going to say, no, no, change happens by the transformation of the Holy Spirit. One more, death. How do we think about death? Well, self-deprecating teaches us to be afraid of death. Self-adulation, too high a view of ourselves, we think, I'll never die. Human wisdom tells us to be realistic about this, but godly wisdom teaches us to have resurrection hope. You see, the way of godly wisdom is just a different way of living altogether. And I could keep going with example after example after example that I've borrowed here from David Tackle, but what I've, I want to show you is just how you view God. It matters because then how you view yourself matters because that leads to dysfunctions. Or if you view yourself godly, you view yourself God in the right kind of way and you view your, there it's going to lead to a, a right view of yourself, which is going to lead to a right kind of life. Like how you view God, how you view yourself is going to lead to these different outcomes. It's a vital, vital, vital link here. So the snake shows up and he lies to Eve about the character and the nature of God. Your eyes will be opened. He's implying that, that she's thought about God in a wrong way. And of course, as she starts to think about God in a wrong way, as her eyes are going to be opened. She's going to wake up to the reality of who he is. Well, that leads to this distorted view of herself, which leads to this great dysfunction. This is how this deception works. When you doubt the character of God, you will inevitably start to take on more things upon yourself, whether it's pride or fear, which will also then lead to all kinds of dysfunction. So as I've mentioned throughout this series, you know, deception is so easy to see in other people, but it's so hard to see in ourselves. 
And because these lies are common and predictable, that's one of the lines we've been using throughout this series, these lies of Satan are common and predictable, we need to be working off of the assumption that all of us are susceptible to these lies just as much as anyone else. After all, there is a deceiver who is seeking to destroy us. And so because deception is hard to see, one of the best ways to, to see deception is through the fruit of our lives. Specifically, because deception leads to destruction and dysfunction, we need to be looking at the destructive and dysfunctional parts of our lives. And then we'd be asking ourselves, in these areas of our life where I'm afraid, these areas of my life where I have conflict, these areas of my life where I have, I have uh, temptation that I just can't get over, these areas of my life that, that I, I, I worry just incessantly, these areas of my life where I just cut people off, these areas of my life where I can't control my words, these areas of my life where I can't control my thoughts or my emotions, these areas of my life that are dysfunctional and destructive, we need to be asking ourselves, am I struggling with that thing? Because deep at its root, there's deception. And perhaps the deception is that I have a distorted view of God. Perhaps somewhere along the lines, I bought into this lie that God is, that God is distant instead of close, that he is disappointed instead of delighted, and that he is uncaring instead of deeply, deeply invested. Maybe I bought into this lie that, that God doesn't actually want to be with me, or God doesn't actually love me, or that God doesn't actually involve my life, or that I don't actually have this hope in him. And so, and so I bought into this, some sort of distortion, and this distortion has led me to see myself in a, in a distorted way where I've taken too much upon my shoulders, which has then led to dysfunctions in life. So you start to confront these deceptions. We start with this understanding that these dysfunctions and destructions, they didn't come out of nowhere. There is one who is actively seeking to destroy us. And the only way to combat that then is with the truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christian fellowship, the truth of God that he reveals to us that we can walk in the right kind of way of godly wisdom. Let's pray together. And so Father, uh, today as we consider this lie, common and predictable deception, that our eyes will be opened if we only rebelled against you that there's something you're holding out on us, that we're gonna see the world in a, in a new way, that we're gonna see you for who you really are. There is a common and predictable deception to distort your character, to begin to think of you in wrong terms, to begin to think that you are distant, that you're uncaring, that you're disappointed, that you're not powerful, that you're not able to come through for us. And so Lord, forgive us for how we have bought into these deceptions, that we've willingly walked in this way and along the way as, as doing this, we have taken upon ourselves too much authority for our own lives, whether either through fear or through pride, two sides of the same coin, where we take the, the outcome of our lives and we put it on our shoulders, which leads to all kinds of dysfunction. Speak truth back into our hearts, truth back into our minds about who you are, that we can rely rightly on you and your character. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you never give up on us and that you are seeking us and love us and are kind to us and are delighted in us. And therefore we can bring everything before you. For anyone who's with us today and doesn't know the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we just offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? It's a simple prayer of faith to, to begin this journey to, of walking with you. Lord, thank you, we love you. And we are so 
so um, committed to, to finding this truth and walking in the truth that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, you are loved.